0: guy here You're listening to an audio broadcast of Market Call. That's M-R-K-T Call. It's a daily video series I do with Dan Nathan every Monday through Thursday live at 1 p.m. Eastern. We break down the big market-moving headlines and offer trade ideas. Each week, we're joined by our friends Carter Worth of Worth Charting and Liz Young, that's EY of SoFi, for their investment analysis. So check it out. And if you like it, follow at Market Call on on Twitter, and subscribe to Risk Reversal Media's YouTube page so you never miss an episode. Guy Adami here, Dan Nathan-Nair. It is Tuesday. I love that, by the way. February 21st, Market Call, 1 p.m. on the East Coast. By the way, check this out, Dan. Just a few minutes. Matthew Haggerty, Senior Manager of Energy Analytics for BTU Analytics. Obviously, that is a member of FactSet. He'll be joining us. Today's episode brought to you by CME Group, Dan, where risk meets opportunity and the aforementioned FactSet Financial Data and Analytics that are powered by tomorrow. They also are our data, not data, data provider. Uh, Tuesday, here we are. Interesting market. Tough Ranger loss last night at home to a Winnipeg team. Their goalie, who's in the Vezina chat, as you know, Dan, stood on his head, uh, yeah. and Shostarkin looked a little uh, – he just didn't seem to be on his game, but that's not what you're here for.
1: We are not here. You, you and I had a heck of a weekend. You were down in D.C. all sure. week. And then I went down, and I met you in D.C. I didn't really meet you. I went to go w- visit my daughter, who's uh, you know at a, at a fine university that is your alma mater. sure, Isn't it? And then we had – just all the fams. We 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 just had a we had a big night out. We got lots of our all of your three kids there, two of my kids, and then that lovely lady who's sitting in front of your two boys, Millie, is a close family friend. And we just had a big powwow. That's and nice then we went and then we went out for cocktail. Well, we we didn't get a pitcher of beer in your old haunt in the tombs, did we? There, but no,
0: you and we and I did, I did not get a picture, friend. but we went to the tombs. That's in front of the fireplace. Yeah. For you fans of the tombs, you will be very familiar with that. It's been there since its inception. Uh, Georgetown University, folks, I'm telling you right now, uh, if you are so inclined, apply for you undergrads, for you freshmen or sophomore in high school that are thinking about it. Hey, guy,
1: am I taller than you, or is it just my hair's poofy? No, is you're probably you're taller than there?
0: me. I'm also hunched over these days. It's hard for me to stand up straight, oh, but that's for me. another show. Well, we, had, we
1: had a great time down there at Georgetown. Um, we had a little risk reversal media powwow with all of uh, well, all of our kids there. That was a lot of fun. And then you did something for me, you know, which I really, really do appreciate. I've been bugging you for, what, the last two years? to go get your TSA free. Mm-hmm. You and sure, I travel TSA. together. And, and, and again, you, I thought you were holding out just to bug me, but I'm sure your family with a couple of trips over the last year were like, guy, you got to do this. No, well, together. I
0: went to the Staples a few weeks yeah. so I actually made myself an appointment. Nobody here cares, but no. I'll share the details. And I got there and yeah. you know, I couldn't find my passport and I figured I'd be able to sweet talk my way through TSA. Nope. That obviously did not work. And then subsequently did find said passport and I went today and it was... It was seamless, and then I bought myself – what do they call these cases
1: you put your Apple phone device they call in? call a case. They call them a case. Oh, they,
0: they do? Yeah. Yeah, I bought a new case. It's
1: below. All right, fair enough. All right, let's do it. You were talking about the markets here. It's – it's. Um, you know, listen, you and I have been in this camp that what we've seen over the last six weeks or so, okay, and, and we said it after three weeks into the year, we said it after four weeks, after five weeks, we just turned the page six weeks here, that it really felt like a very similar rally that we had – in the markets last year in 2022, we had a March, April rally, pretty big one, 15%. We had a uh, June, August rally that was like 18% or so. We had an October, December rally. This is in the S&P 500 here, right? And they all coincided in and around expectations about what the Fed was going to do in and around earnings that estimates had been coming down and then companies had beat them. It felt this whole period, starting off in mid-January, okay, with financials with largely banks earnings. It felt like the same sort of thing. And you and I have been like, what the heck is going on here? Because expectations now for rates, and we're going to hit the CME Fed Watch tool, um, have just been going higher. They haven't been going the opposite way. And each time over the last year when we had those rallies, there was this expectation that the Fed was going to pause or pivot or something like that. And that's not going on here, guys. So here we are. The S&P is down just a few percent from those recent highs. Are we about to see a major sea change now that the S and P is up less than five percent of the year. The Nasdaq's up less than eleven percent of the year. It feels like we might be on the precipice for one of those the, those kind of re I don't know kind of rejiggering of expectations yeah. as it relates to equity.
0: no. It's, you set it up well. I mean, the moves we saw in June and subsequently in October they they made sense, and you know I think we did a good job navigating. What caught me off guard, I think, was you know the sell off that we saw in November and December definitely made sense, but the fact that in December. We started to get our footing again. It didn't really line up with what I was seeing. Now, again, I'm not a big believer in seasonality. People will point to that. I have no idea. Maybe it was a tax loss selling was over and people getting back. I don't really know, and I don't know what the optimism around stocks were because nothing really fundamentally changed. There was some good price action on some, you know, basically mediocre earnings releases, which I found interesting. But there, I think. There's this misguided belief that somehow there's a backstop in the market. I just don't think it's there. And I think for today, at least, people are coming to that uh, realization. I also think, um, and I'm sure we'll discuss it on Fast Money tonight a little here, I mean, obviously, geopolitically, things are not getting better. As a matter of fact, you can make an argument that things are actually getting worse, um, which makes a little bit of sense as well. So I think the market is finally taking those things into consideration, on top of which, you know, the HYG is something we talk about. And- you know, not to trade the HYG. We are not suggesting that whatsoever. I use it more as a, as a barometer or a measuring stick. And if you look at the one-day move it's having today, that's not an instrument that moves a percent in a day yeah. historically. And you're seeing that to the downside today. So all these things, and you look at it, and at least for today, and to a certain extent over the last week or so, I think the market has come to the realization that, hey, wait a second, you know, things are not cheap. Things are expensive. Um, valuations do matter and again in a rising interest rate environment how much you're willing to pay for stocks i mean that's somewhat i think that's really what it comes down
1: to yeah so the hyg is really important and you've kind of brought this up i think about once a week for the last like six seven weeks or so and i think it's important because you said that if there's one thing that could really derail other than rate expectations okay um if there's one thing that could derail this rally in the S&P 500 would be some sort of credit event, right? So this is high-yield credit. And when you look at this thing, to your point, it doesn't move. Well, it has been fairly volatile. And if you look at it, how it's kind of tracked the S&P 500 guy, um, we're down about 5% in the HYG from the highs earlier this month here. And I think if the um, equity investors start to perceive some sort of a risk some sort of credit sort of event maybe it's some sort of big fund maybe it's something that is not was not anticipating a fed fund above 5% for longer than 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 people thought they for some reason investors thought they were going to kiss 5% guy and it was going to start going the other way later this year so i think you really i think it's a really important point to keep a close eye on this is there anything else you know on the geopolitical front i was talking with danny moses this morning Danny's our co-host of our On the Tape podcast that drops every Monday and Friday mornings. Um, And, you know, Danny was saying this about geopolitical risk. It's just echoing what you just said. You know, never in his career does he remember where there's so many sort of kind of landmines out there right now. And I'll just say this, man. You know when it felt like this and we were saying this exact same thing exactly one year ago this week, when Russian tanks started rolling in Ukraine, and we know what happened there with inflation expectations, and we know what there what happened there with just equity markets and really the risk premium that people were willing to pay, um, you know what I mean, when, when the Fed was already in their – Trenches. and I hate to use that term, and I don't mean to use it insensitively, but they were really entrenched on battling inflation mm-hmm. that they knew was only going to get worse in the near term. And why were they going to do that, and how were they going to do that, raising interest rates because they didn't want to get that out of control a little bit.
0: Well, and you know, we had Richard Fisher on, you know, a former member of the Fed on Fast Money last week. We had a conversation, and one of the questions I asked him, the way I formulated it was, you know, I don't think there's a Fed put in the form of the S and P 500. If it is. It's significantly lower than we are now, probably south of 3,000. You know, I thought there might be a Fed put, though, in the credit markets if something were to sort of blow up there, either that or unemployment getting to 5%. Well, I got to tell you something, you know, it's going to be, you know, that's one of those things, you know, it moves slow, things happen slowly until everything happens quickly. I mean, you could see that in the form of the unemployment rate, but that seems to be pretty locked in sub 4% but it's credit that's going to be a concern. And if the credit markets start to deteriorate for whatever reason, you know I'm not smart enough to know what the reasons are, that's what will get the Fed's attention. So if you start to see a deterioration in credit, the equity market will follow. But I will tell you, if things get bad enough, that's when the Fed comes in and starts to bail things out. So if you think there's a backstop or a put. It's going to come in the form of that.
1: Well, I'll take the other side of that. I mean, guy, there's a scenario when you look at a lot of this, the employment data. It might never. I mean, be, being serious, let's just say right now, what's not priced in is a soft landing. A soft landing. We we talked about this a lot, right? We went from a hard landing being priced at the you know some point last year when the S and P was at its lows in October to maybe a soft landing. You know, at the end of the year to the start of the year, then this whole no landing scenario came around you know, there is a scenario though, where maybe you don't have that kind of like that vicious, like, like, like death spiral they're talking about with wages and everything like that, but maybe wages stay high. Maybe unemployment stays low, but inflation stays high. And that's not great for S and P earning. I mean, there's a lot of scenarios. You and I are not economists and, and, and and for whatever reason, maybe it's changing demographics, of the workforce, and maybe it's all this virtual stuff. And maybe like, you know, this AI push might take more remote work. Who knows? Okay. Maybe tech workers are getting hired. I just don't know here, but, um, You know, there's a scenario where maybe the unemployment thing is the thing that keeps the Fed, you know, very steady fast in their kind of you know interest rate stance. And listen, I know that you've been um, you've thought that that that's not a bad thing, that we've normalized interest rates and maybe our economy um, can hack it. Who knows? All right, Here's somebody, though, and a friend of ours, Mike Wilson, he's the CIO over at Morgan Stanley. Every Monday, he puts out a note. Uh, Bloomberg seems to love covering it. He comes on our shows. He comes on our podcast. Um, he's saying 26% lower, guy. Um, and we could see that in months in the S&P 500. You can do that math on a S and um, S&P 500. That seems like Just such a distant level here. Uh, um, And and I just want to kind of go to Carter had a note out this morning with the S&P and the VIX. This is just the year to date in both of them. And again, this is just the year to date. Look at that S&P. It's breaking that uptrend that's been in place, Mm -hmm. right, since the start of January. And you look at the VIX, and he's showing what might look like a head and shoulders bottom. And I'm just going to pull up the one-year chart. This is our our really good-looking fact set chart here on that talk to me a little bit about that because here we are we're back below that downtrend that's been in place since january 2021 you see the 200 day moving average at 3950 you see that cluster at the end of december early january before we took off at 3800 now we could have drawn an uptrend there would have looked like a nice little x marks the spot here but mike is leaning into his you know he thinks that we get back to those pre-pandemic highs. You and I thought for a very long time we get back to those pre-pandemic highs. That's what a 16 multiple on flat earnings, you know, ish, right? So $200 in S&P earnings for 2023, where do you think we go next?
0: No, and we had a conversation a while back with Yuri Timmer who said, you know, that multiples and earnings don't trough at the same time. And okay, you know, that was a great point by him and I never thought of it in that light. But you know, things are going to start to happen. I think relatively quickly, and I think the market's coming to the realization. You know, I saw uh, Jeremy Siegel on Squawk and Friends this morning talking about how earnings are going to, you know, surprise people to the upside. I, you know, personally, I just don't, I just don't see it happening. I, I don't understand what he's looking at. I mean, I respect Can I break him in but-
1: for a second. I, I just. I went to Penn. I didn't go to Wharton. Okay. I love the school. Um, Wharton, it's made a gazillion amazing bankers and economists And this. I just don't get that guy. I yeah. don't get why he's on TV. Has he ever... Other than being in Wisdom Tree commercials, has he ever done anything other outside of academia? I just I, honestly, I, he he sounds batshit crazy ninety percent of the time. And you yeah. may say I sound batshit crazy right now, but I, he talks out of both sides of his mouth. No matter what the market's doing, I don't get it. I really, honestly, don't get what why what's interesting.
0: Is you know yeah. when you mention academia, that's exactly right. I think people that live there and it's fine career choice without question, but they try to then bridge the cap bridge the gap between academia and the markets or real life situations and it just doesn't work that way. I mean what works yeah. in a textbook doesn't work in real life and I think that's what he's at least trying to reconcile in terms of the market though, I think you know that I'm with Mike Wilson. I'm sure he was scratching his head you know the early parts of January into February, I think things are seemingly, um, coming around to his way of thinking now. The first stop in the minis and, and this, the futures, is 39.50. And we've talked about it. And if you can put that other chart up quickly, the one that shows that pennant formation, what we have been saying in terms of this little pennant. And if you look at the E mini futures, we thought it would reconcile itself with each passing day, that dr- downtrend and the uptrend would somehow converge and would reconcile to the downside. And we've shown charts to that extent. And Pretty much that's what's happening here. So if you go to the next chart quickly, 39.50 is a level that should be the first stop and we'll see what what kind of bounce if and when we get there. So that's just something to keep into consideration. But you know, again, getting back to all these different things. Yeah, I mean, I think you started it exactly right. You know, we have seen the same type of thing in June. We saw it in October. The only difference is the ensuing sell-off from that late November peak it, it should have been steeper. It, it was far too shallow, in my opinion. You see what happened. You know, we got down to about 38 and change, and then we had this violent rally that we've seen. That was the only thing different, the magnitude of the sell-off
1: off those late November, early December highs. Yeah, hey, I just want to ping this one, and I think this is important. Doug Cass, our friend over there at Seabreeze. Um, who's watching right now. He is. He sent a, He sent me an email, uh, and you, I think, and it's important to throw this up on the XLF. And, and Doug has forgotten more about uh, bank stocks and financial stocks. Then you and I maybe combined will ever know. Um, he's been covering them for decades, and and he is the man. And when you look at that chart, I think he's citing some work from Jeffries, But his point, and he, it's just a simple point. I mean, so goes the you know the S and P following, you know, um, some of these bank stocks. And when you think about, just so you know, I mean, that was this morning before today's tick. If we were to throw up, you know, that uptrend, um, you know, with today's tick in it, I mean, you have you have it solidly breaking the uptrend, and what's important to me about these stocks, and, and Friette Berkshire is the, the highest weighted, and we could look at the KBW, um, you know, the bank stock in index, and it would look the same way, or it probably looks a bit worse without Berkshire in their guy. What's interesting to me is that in mid-January, when these companies started reporting, okay, some of these big holdings in the XLF, it really added some credence to the rally in a way that even if you thought it was just the kind of January effect coming into it, some of the stuff that was the most oversold was bouncing here. But the bank stocks, I mean, estimates, I think, had been coming down, positioning a lot of investors for a soft to a hard landing, right, for the better part of 2022. And they didn't really start to outperform until late in the year. And maybe that was based on valuation. But if these stocks are going to start leading to the downside, I mean, that's kind of important. What is your thoughts there, Guy?
0: No, listen, you know, I think you make a great point. Doug has forgotten more about, well, forget about just banks, about markets than I'll ever know without question. And I admire him a great deal. But I mean, I think this speaks to exactly what we've been talking about. And you look at financials more and more talking about credit concerns, reserving for credit losses, those types of things. That's typically not what you see in a bull market or an economy that's doing so well, right? I mean, they seem to be if you know, pardon my term, but battening down the hatches for what they all seemingly see coming. And we talk about it all the time. You know, people talk about the health of the U.S. consumer and it gets a little nauseating at a certain point. What I like to say, and I'll say it here, I never underestimate the U.S. consumers want to spend. They have proven time and time again that under just about any scenario that we can throw out there, they will spend money. My concern is, are they in a position to spend? And I think the answer to that is clearly no, you know, credit card debt in the United States is going to surpass a trillion dollars. You know, we're talking about debt levels that we've never seen in a rising interest rate and environment. Yes, wages have been going up, but nearly not commensurate enough to, to overtake inflation. And you're starting to see layoffs, not just from tech companies, from, from other companies as well. So again, I don't know how that pays, I don't know how that paints a rosy picture for yeah. the consumer. And then you just sort of bridge that over to the banks and you can't, at least in my
1: opinion, Create a really robust scenario in, in this current environment. Yeah, and the other point is, let's just look at the, the ten-year yield. It's at three ninety-two. It feels like it's going to be touching four percent really soon. Um, you know, you've been talking about the ever-widening yield curve, the two ten spread. It's below eighty basis points, but it got nearly to ninety basis points, I think, last week, guy. Mm-hmm. And so, when you think about, let's look at it on a one-year basis. You know, we saw that two hundred-day moving average has acted as support. It's nearing those highs um, from January or so. Again, I mean, to me, when you think about, um, you know, banks, do they like the high rates? Do they like a winding yield curve? I I don't know, but they don't seem to love, you know, a 10-year that's approaching 4% right now. Um, And if you look at this on a five-year basis, you know, above those 2019 highs, right, this is the the, the 10-year yield really feels like it wants to make um, an, another push here in a way. And if you look at that CME Fed Watch tool, and you've said this very aptly, you know, um, you know, like the, the Fed, they can control that two year. That's the Fed funds. That's basically it's not the Fed funds, but it's kind of keying off of that. But all of a sudden, man, when you look out to that May, that May meeting. And, and we've been showing this chart every week on Tuesdays here. Right. All of a sudden, that five and a quarter, five and a half percent, it's building here a little mm-hmm. bit. Right. And if you look at the March meeting um, and, you know, you see you, you, you see what's going on here. So so five percent could be something much, much longer than than a lot of investors think. And I just can't imagine that's a good setup for us. Yeah. And, and
0: again, you know, Starry just said. Walmart and Home Depot both said they will raise weight. Yeah, both said they're going to raise wages. And guess who's going to I mean, those costs will get passed on. I mean, they're on razor thin. Well, at least in terms of Walmart, razor thin margins in the first place, they're going to have to pass it on to the consumer. So inflation, that's what that's been my point all along. I mean, you know, be careful what you wish for. And for years, they were wishing for inflation because you just might get it. And then once you get it, you know, the fact that you think you can slay that dragon so easily, just it just doesn't happen. And we have a number coming out on Friday that, again, in my opinion, it's going to I think it's going to surprise some people And the last few numbers have. And you've actually uh, mentioned over the last couple of weeks that you think inflation is probably going to rear its head again as we get to the back half of this year. So it gets back to the Fed's job. It's not over by any stretch. And again, just one more point before and then we'll bring in Matt. If the Fed were to lower rates in the back half of this year, if if that's your wish, because you think somehow magically that's going to be supportive of equity prices, you have to ask yourself, what the F is going on in the United States or globally yeah. For them to the lower rates in the back half of 2023, it ain't going to be good. Well, anyway. hey,
1: listen, but guy, but that's the point. And, you know, you said, and globally, well, here's the thing, okay? A lot of people didn't think the Ukraine, the war in Ukraine after Russia's invasion a year ago would still be going on right now, right? And when you think about what happened to crude oil, what happened to natural gas, what happened to basically a whole host of other things in Europe's economy based on that. And now you think about what's going on with China. And again, you and I don't bring this up. We're not fear we're not we, I don't know about you. I read all weekend long okay I read every day when I wake up and I'm just reading a whole host of different things from different news sources, different points of view in this and that whatever. The situation with us in China, the situation with China and Taiwan is not getting any better anytime soon And when you think about going back to the pandemic, why did we have the sort of inflation in goods that we had? Because we had broken supply chains, we had difficult access to you know really important components to a lot of ectro- electronics, right? So think about semiconductors and think about any situation. The majority of semiconductors are made in China and Taiwan. Okay. And if we have any disruption there, what we saw over the last year with commodities like oil and th- this will be something that we-, we will not we will be dealing with the reverberations of mm-hmm. this you talk about wage growth you talk about deglobalization and you talk about reshoring all really inflationary and what all that might lead to is a fed even if we did have a global slowdown guy that is not able to lower rates right. because they're more worried about inflation that's you know right I mean? and so you're 100
0: so- right and, and once they give an indication that's why that's why they've been so dogmatic and have been so steadfast in the language that they're using because You know, people will say there's no analog for what we're going through, and they say the 72-73 analog is flawed. Fine. But I also think there's this fear that they don't want to repeat the same mistakes were made literally 50 years ago in the early 1970s, which is why they continue, because they understand that once they give the indication that they have this thing beaten, that's when commodity prices are going to get back on the collective horse. And somebody in the chat, and I apologize because it went by too quick, but they mentioned, don't forget about the debt ceiling that's coming up. I'm not forgetting about it at all because there is a very vocal minority in, the, in, you know, in the Republican party, I'll say it. I think that or somehow hell bent on bringing this thing to the brink. You know, I think they, in some ways they want things to right. break. And that's not a political comment on right. politics bore the shit out of me MTG, but you have to who, read the tea leaves there too
1: who you're talking about mtg okay the woman is a congress person in atlanta okay or in you know in georgia excuse me that has two democratic senators and she is literally calling for her state to succeed from the union okay so so when you think about that and again i mean she is that vocal minority she has the ability to to kind of one vote in the house, right uh, on their on their caucus to remove, you, you know Congressperson McCarthy. From That's the right, as leadership. speaker,
0: one vote that gets it done, and he understands that. That's why you know there's why they're kowtowing He's to these. It's it, so. Again, it's not about politics. If you want to watch politics, die. turn on CNN or Fox News. Or yeah. it's not. Don't watch me. But what I, you know, just reading the tea leaves a little bit. I think people. I think the market is discounting or taking too light what's going on in the debt ceiling front. They seem to think it's just going to remedy itself like it always do, and it will. However, there's going to be some pain associated to get to the other side of that. And then one has to wonder what the concessions are to get it there and what how detrimental it's going to be to the market. So just, again, we're not fear-mongering here. It's just, we're just trying to pay attention. If you want cheerleaders, go watch an effing Dallas Cowboy football game or some of the shows that are on some of these networks. I am not one of those people, neither is Dan. When when things get to, to the point where we're optimistic again, trust me, we'll be the first people to talk about it. And quite frankly, we did back in June and we did in October as well. But if you're just looking across the landscape and you want people to be bullish, just sort of help you sleep at night, you're watching the wrong show.
1: Back to Yeah, you. well uh, listen, you know, when we spent some time in the S&P 500, um, you know, again, there there's a place um, you know, that's below 3800, that's above, let's say 3300 or so where I get a lot more constructive and start dollar cost averaging on some stocks, which I did a uh, numerous times last year, um, but it's not right here. All right, let's do it, guy, because again, listen, this guy that we're bringing in, we've gotten to know him pretty well. He's BTU Analytics, that is a fact set um company and, you know, we, don't have a hashtag for him maybe we could I'll I mean, come up with but, something i know butters butters has taken up a lot of time and the creative energy for us because you know he is the senior earnings uh analyst over there um at fact set and we've gotten to know butters really well but we're getting to know matt haggerty pretty well so why don't we bring him in here uh there he is there he is guy and he speaks a language that you love I And mean, when we talk about you know markets and you talk about subsectors and listen i love tech and, and the, but when it comes to energy that is kind of your bag isn't it guy
0: absolutely and it's great to have matt here we had a great conversation a couple of weeks ago when we did the three e's we did a special webinar at 11 a.m eastern time matt was part of that but we'll get into it right now a lot of questions first and foremost let's just talk about it quickly Nat gas. And they, yeah. you know, when I used to trade it, we used to call it a widow maker and there was a reason we did it. And I will tell you on that move up, it, I'm sure it caught a lot of people off guard. A lot of Johnny come lately. has got into the Nat gas trade on the back of what Dan was talking about earlier, the whole Russian Ukraine thing, a, literally a year ago. And they looked like geniuses for about two weeks. And now <laughs> it's given the entire move back. And with temperatures are what they are in the yeah. United States specifically. But obviously what's been happening in Europe, they got lucky with the winter. That gas is just cratered. Is, is there a fundamental case here at current price levels? I mean, is there an optimistic view or is this thing sort of dead in the water?
2: You know, yeah, I know you guys were just talking about how the show isn't going to to lie to the viewers. It's not going to lie to your listeners and talk about you know how everything's rosy and peachy and you know, unfortunately, I can't do much of that either. Uh, You know, so when we're looking at the natural gas markets here in the near term, I mean, I've seen some of the comments around uh, the, you know, the Widowmaker and and how everything has crashed so fast. Um, But as we look out, you know, weather was really the catalyst for all of that. Um, But there were fundamental moves towards us calling for this decline in pricing for at this point over a year, you know, so as we looked at the nine ten dollar gas pricing that we were searing over the summer it didn't make sense for that to really persist you know so we were looking at uh, i know the the age-old saying is that the cure for low prices is low prices well the cure for high prices is high prices and so uh you know we've seen a lot of producers really grow up and grow into this you know massive wave of, of production that we're seeing right now Um, And that wave of production isn't done. You know, we're seeing breaks start to come off in in some of those natural gas basins like the Haynesville down in Louisiana and East Texas. Um, But the more that those come off, those don't have an immediate impact on production and that supply demand balance and therefore pricing. It's going to take a little bit of time.
1: Yeah, so real quickly, before we get to this um, chart, Matt, let's let's highlight something because you have on March 1st, you have um, a webcast that you're doing live um, at 2 p.m. Eastern. And Jacob, if you could throw up how our Viewers, our listeners can uh, can can access this. You can sign up for it there, and it's will oil pricing dictate U.S. LNG facility utilization here, and and a lot of good stuff there. I think you guys are gonna um, break it down. So if you want to uh, sign up for that, go to advantage.factset.com. Slash 2023 dash oil dash webcast there, and that's really important. Let, let's let's talk about it. let's break this down um, a, a little bit as a little precursor to this webcast um, yeah. for next Thursday. A little bit. I mean, what 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 is, you know, again the cure for, for lower price, lower price, the cure for high price. I mean, they are fall. You know, natural gas is like falling out. It's it's like off the it's off the, yeah. bottom, the bottom quarter of the chart here. Talk to us a little bit about how that changes, Matt.
2: Yeah, so you know what this really means going from here is that we're we're seeing a period of uh, low prices really through twenty twenty five, a lot of twenty twenty five, and so uh, you know over that time frame, what's really causing that extended period of low pricing is that we get a lot of natural gas production that comes out of oil price driven regions. So one of those being West Texas in the Permian, um, and so as these regions, as we see high oil prices, which you know we forecast we're going to be up and around eighty-five dollars later later this year, a little higher than that, and then slowly starting to peter out in the back half of our of our five-year forecast. Um, but what that means is there's a whole lot of production that is coming from regions that don't care about their gas price. Um, so in the meantime, you're also seeing, you know, at the same time as all this, what we call associated gas production, um, you're not seeing a whole lot of new demand out of the U.S. or new export demand. All of that export demand comes in 2026 and after, really. Um, and so as you're waiting for all of this stuff to show up, you're seeing more and more production growth, and that continues to, to weigh on the natural gas price.
0: One of the great Scorsese movies of all times, obviously, is Goodfellas. I mentioned that, yeah. and Dan's saying himself, how is he going to get us to the next slide? <laughs> well, Henry Hill, obviously, played by the great Ray Liotta, not to be confused with Henry Hubb, which is what you want to take us to next, Matt. Yeah. Go ahead.
2: Yeah, yeah, certainly. And so, you know, when we're looking at our price forecast, um, you know, what we're, as, as I mentioned, you know, it's fairly low pricing over the next two and a half, three years. Um, but when this finally gets good, you know, when we're talking to our clients and they always ask us, you have this bearish forecast for pricing, at what point can we start getting a little bit more optimistic again? And what that means for us is, is looking at 26, 27, and 28 and beyond, because You have, again, another wave of uh, liquefied natural gas export capacity, LNG export capacity coming online, where once again, you know, the US can be there to help Europe move away from from Russian gas molecules and continue to supply Asia. And so when you have this huge wave of new demand in the US, uh, we have fears that there's not gonna be enough supply to go Mm -hmm. around. And so, you know, one of the key parts of that, I mentioned it a little bit earlier, is just how much natural gas we get from oil driven regions and so what happens if oil prices, you know, decline and, and fall off and, and really don't incentivize growing at all? Then there's not a whole lot of other places where you can really warm all that up and, and get natural gas production from somewhere else in the U.S.
0: What's interesting, effectively what you're saying is if, you're, if you want to be bullish in that gas, in some ways you have to be bearish in crude oil, which is not, it's not that simple, I know. But let's take a look at crude oil because you brought a chart with you as well. I mean, crude's been basically sideways now effectively for the last six months i mean it's it's vacillated between 73 wti and 81 or so i think last i looked brent was just north of 80 bucks but you know it really hasn't we've had a couple days here and there but it really hasn't moved all that much yet these equity names the the underlying equities have done okay speak to me about crude oil here
2: yeah i think on the oil side you know there's um there's a few really strong known unknowns, I guess. So, so one of those obviously being is the the impact of sanctions on Russia. How quickly do those have an effect and, and to what magnitude do those have an impact? So, you know, we've seen obviously over the the last couple of weeks, Russia already announced that they're going to cut production by half a million barrels a day. Um, That is still a little bit less than what we model will come out of uh, the Russian um, uh, production machine in total. So we model that over you know the next six months or so, we'll see just shy of about a million barrels a day of production fall out of out of Russia, and so that's going to be one factor that helps bolster kind of a bullish case for oil. Uh, on the other hand, you know another one that's been been talked about in the market quite a bit is how quickly uh, China comes back in in terms of uh, you know demand and, and how quickly they recover now that they've pulled off of um, of of their COVID related you know shutdowns and whatnot. So. Uh, as those two impacts really start to bolster the supply-demand balance, and and things start to get really, really tight, you know, now we have OPEC that's certainly going to maintain their their cuts through the end of the year. Um, what that ends up doing is creates a, a pretty short market towards you know this summer and really through the end of 2023. And so you know that's one of the areas where, where we get pretty bullish on on uh, oil pricing through the rest of 2023. Uh, now the U.S. is going to continue to grow because $85, $90 oil prices means the U.S. should grow production. And so what that does is help balance the market kind of in the longer term of that 2024 and, and go forward. So, uh, you know, we're, we're certainly a little bit more bullish on oil than we are on the net gas side.
1: Matt, Matt, you know, it's interesting. You heard us talking before about the kind of unknowns around um, geopolitical events. And obviously, you know, this was, you know, crude was the first kind of battle fought, you know, when 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 Russia invaded Um, at least economic battle, that is, um, and and not to minimize the loss of life and, 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 and the struggle. Um, over there but it's something that you know obviously for us who are so far removed from it you know we were looking at gas at the pump going higher and what that meant for you know corporate margins and the like and so i'm curious like how much does geopolitics kind of play into your outlook because again it seems like you're worried about short supply of crude here and it's funny you know when you think about china and this kind of reversal from zero covid and and you know it really hasn't had a like look at look at what's gone on with crude and the guy's point you know i mean it's just uh, gone sideways to lower since they kind of reopened and then the other point i'll just make is like here's a headline from the information okay this is um, a, a tech rag here chinese city gangzhou to invest 29 billion into tech funds okay this is a really different headline then post the financial crisis in two thousand and nine, what they were investing in was building cities, you know, to nowhere and and all that sort of stuff, and that took a lot of industrial commodities. But now they're investing in digital and virtual sorts of investments and, and the like here, and it might be different this time. I know that's a a saying that usually gets guy kind of triggered here, but 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 again, crude oil is not telling you that China is like this gangbusters open for business, and it's not going to have the reverberations. That you know that it had in past times, you know what I mean about what it meant for the Chinese economy and ultimately uh, the global economy.
2: Yeah, I mean you know when we're when we're looking at this, I mean you're you're certainly right that pricing hasn't really done a whole lot while China has been unwinding all of these cuts uh, or all of these uh, lockdowns. But you know at the same time, I think the market's been taken by somewhat of a surprise that Russian oil production hasn't hasn't declined. You know it, it certainly found other homes. In China and in India, and then now with refined products, they're also finding other homes in South America and in North Africa. And so, you know, I, I think that there's a little bit of a of a dual impact here. And so, you know, should Russian production actually decline, uh, which it, in, by large hasn't yet, um, then you know that's when we expect to see that impact to to pricing. Because I, I do think that you know with Chinese demand recovering, you know, you're seeing refiners in China both. On the private and, and public side buying a lot more crude again uh and especially as you know there's this risk that europe won't have enough refined products to go around um you know china is one of those that, that could step in and and help that export battle to get diesel into europe now that they're sworn off of, of russian volumes and you know obviously saudi arabia the us and, and north africa are going to be a huge part of that as well
0: we're looking forward to the march 1st event jacob if you could throw that up one more time take a look obviously you know, half hour, it's going to be a lot of information in a short amount of time. You should definitely register for this. Matt does a great job. We're going to have Matt on, obviously. when If we get energy days where it dictates it, absolutely. Otherwise, we'll have him back as a regular guest. Matt, thanks for joining us here.
1: Thanks so much. Thanks, Thanks, bud.
0: Matt's fan. I got to think of a a moniker for him. I will come up with something, though. I promise you, folks. So if you have any
1: ideas in the chat, let me have them, Dan. Throw throw them in there. Throw them in there. Um, Guy, what are you thinking about the XLE, the OIH here? Um, You had a good call on these. Um, It feels like, and I think a big part of your call has been that they have basically were able to just kind of act very differently than the commodity, right? Over the last call it six to nine months or so, the companies are run better, that that sort of thing here. I'm just curious on the equities, like how how are you thinking about them here? Because, you know, that thing, look at that, you know, it found some resistance. Maybe you could say it's a base, it's above its 200 day moving average. Um, Does it look horrible? I mean, I think if it were to break its 200 day moving average, you know, you might see the sort of move that we saw over the last year or so, those down 25% moves or so. Yeah, I
0: mean, look, It struggled at the, if you look at the three highs here, it struggled at those levels in June, it struggled in middle November. Obviously, we just had a bit of a problem towards the end of January into February. But to your point, I mean, the 200 day moving average has been a level where it's held and bounced. You know, September, October, notwithstanding, you see what I'm talking about here. To answer your question specifically, I think you stay with the energy trade. I think you stay with the equities, you know, short of the market completely breaking down over the course of a week where everything gets sort of Uh, you know, sold first, asked questions later. I think energy stocks in this environment specifically are going to hold up a lot better than some of their tech rivals. So I'm still... Yep. there's not right now the energy trade in my opinion is still alive and well obviously today not a particularly good day but you know we'll see what happens
1: 82 and a half that's that 200 day let's see if xle can hold that and it might cre- present like a good opportunity um to make another move you know towards that kind of mid-90s sort of level all right let's just hit a few single names there's some earnings guy over the next uh 24 hours that i think are kind of interesting but i wanted to quickly hit apple um carter braxton worth of worth charting had this note out late friday afternoon i thought was kind of interesting mm-hmm. he's highlighting this kind of 157 ish level you see that steep um trend. it got what did it get down to 124 and then rock yeah,
0: well we i mean i don't know how long we said 125 but we said it's going there and it got there you know and I, I thought look the bounce was quicker and stronger than i thought it would be with that said that leads to this chart right here so i think carter's spot on you know this 157 and a half 158 level was resistance back in the fall it's going to be resistance here again and apple goes down too folks i'm, I'm just here to tell you i know everybody loves it you know don't bitch yeah. on don't shit on my apple i get it you know i'm i'm a little more agnostic but believe it or not over the course of the last 5 or 6 years you've seen at least a half a dozen 25 to 40% moves to the downside so yeah you know, you know i'm again you know, just funny. take that
1: for what it's worth it's interesting, you know. My wife likes to put peanut butter on apples. She she chops them up. Yeah, people slices. do that. It's so yeah. Never,
0: I like to eat apples with apples. You know, certain well, things you don't have to add accoutrement. That's a French word. Look, no, it up. but
1: I think she's looking to add a little protein. So she, yeah. she has those little those little peanut butter packets, and she'll take an mm. apple with her. And a peanut butter packet, and then she put a little yeah, bang. Listen, bang.
0: just since you brought up apples, I like green apples, and if you have a problem with your apple browning, if you put a little lemon juice on it, that will you know I'm help.
1: allergic to apples. If I if I take a bite of an apple, my eyes will start itching and my ears uh. will start itching. Yeah. All right, let's hit. Um, Home Depot, uh, down six percent today, guy. And this it's a is big move—that's a
0: huge single-day move in this stock.
1: Yeah. What, what, what was your takeaway from the guidance? Um, you know, they, they missed on revenues. The guidance was a, it was a bit downbeat here. Uh, big move through its two hundred-day moving average. And again, we've we've cited a lot of data on the market call over the last kind of few weeks about how the breadth of the rally. Um, was was doing pretty well, and 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 usually you'll see that relative to how many stocks are above their 200-day moving average. And again, you know the housing data. This was you know the house the housing market was one of those things that the Fed was really targeting, right, with those rate increases, because we know what happens when things get euphoric in that market here. And we had you know a decade of of zero interest rates. We had. You know, the 30-year mortgage was what, like 2.5%. It was like crazy. It was under 3%, and that doubled in less than a year or so. So we're seeing the housing trade coming up. Sometimes that's good for uh, Home Depot, right, when rates go higher. It doesn't seem to be a great time for it right now.
0: Well, it's good in so much as, you know, people look. I mean, you can make a bullish argument for Home Depot under a lot of set of circumstances. You know, people can't move out of their house because – effectively, if you think about it, their mortgage rate is an asset. So instead of moving or trying to move, they're just going to fix up their existing house. That works at Home Depot. There are a lot of scenarios that work for Home Depot. Unfortunately, the scenario that we're about to go into, this rising interest rate environment where people are now, I mean, if you think about the cost for some people they have gone up significantly, that disposable income is not going to be spent at Home Depot. This was not a great guide by any stretch of imagination. And The concern with Home Depot for years was valuation, but nobody gave a shit because valuations didn't matter. When valuations started to matter again, it's not coincidental that Home Depot sort of topped out and has been trading lower to sideways ever since. 200-day moving average comes into play today. We'll see if it holds. You're obviously going to have a huge volume day today. I haven't looked. My sense is we're probably two and a half, three times normal volume already. So if you're looking for a trade, um, you know today might be an interesting day. Unfortunately... The stock is actually more expensive now than it probably was 24 hours ago
1: in terms of the guidance they gave. Just something to keep in consideration. You bring that point up and it's so important. And again, you know, why do we quote facts at data all the time? Because again, you know, it's showing us kind of what, you know, a a year ago, what earnings and and sales and margins and and all the key metrics were, and they'll show the year over year, the period over period um, sort of estimates here. And I'm looking at this right now, Guy, and given that guidance that they just gave, I mean, 2024, that's the current fiscal year um, for them, you know, the stock's trading about 18 times expected Earnings growth of like low single digits. Maybe it's two, maybe it's 3%. Maybe that's too high. And the same for sales growth here. And so again, they talk about wages, they talk about wages going up. That's going to weigh. Um, on margins also too. So, you know, again, I mean, this is a company that's had like a 33 handle on their their gross margins um, forever. If you see that thing going the opposite way with, with negative earnings and sales growth, trading above a market multiple or about the forward average, I mean, maybe it shouldn't trade at that. Like that's kind of my my only point. That's and exactly I'm, I'm, glad right. you, I'm glad you bring it up based on the guidance. All right. here hey, let's Real look quick, at, this is yeah. a good,
0: and I, I, we got to go, I know. Yeah. This is an LMX. This is actually a really good point that he or she makes. If you guys are bearish, why did you buy Snap, Google, Lyft last week? Time to nibble on. All so, not. so just quickly, just let me address that quickly. Yeah. They're trade, you know. Yes, we've been bearish, but you know, in that environment, there are always trades to the upside on on single stocks. So, you can't. We don't try to paint with a broad brush. Brush. Yeah. In a bear market, which we've effectively been in for a period of time. Those are the, sometimes the best opportunities to put
1: things on on the long side. Totally. All right. Two things real quickly are three things here on, on that on that point. OK, I said I bought. Google at 94, and when uh, Microsoft was 167 and a half, I put a short on using options. It was a pairs trade on Friday. I tweeted it out with the video from the prior week when I said I was doing that. I said I was selling my Google at 94, and I was taking some profit in the Microsoft, but I was rolling it. Okay, also I'm going to stick with the Microsoft. We reserve the right to change our minds, and we're going to be as transparent as we can. Why do we talk on these things every day? Why do we tweet the stuff out for exactly that? Okay, now snap. Lift. I said I'm going dumpster diving. These two stocks got hit really hard after earnings and I'm buying them um, below those levels. And so, again, you know, oftentimes I'll look to do with options and I'll define my risk. So, um, yeah, I'm bearish. I have some trades that are starting to work really well. Um, on the short side. All right. One last thing, guy. Before we get out of here, I want to look at TJX. This is TJ Maxx companies, really interesting retailer in this environment, right? So this is an off-price retailer. Look at that one-year chart. I mean, that consolidation um, over the last few months is really impressive. Here, you look at that 200-day moving average. It was back at the breakout level. Um, From the fall, we also have a five-year chart of this one. So the implied move in the options market is about 5% or about $4 in either either direction. And you look at that breakdown level um, or that breakout level where the stock is consolidated in this little flag or so. Listen, very constructive chart, but this is like a chart that looks like it's going in a different direction than the overall market here. And if you talk about valuations, this stock is trading 25 times trailing or so, 22 times forward and i gotta tell you for the expected earnings growth uh, maybe 10 percent or so and then sales growth is going to be you know in the mid single digits seems kind of fat guy this thing seems priced to perfection perfection
0: there was a great molly hatchet song off flirting with disaster one man's pleasure is another man's pain one man's loss is another man's gain i mention that because what what is other people's pain and some of these retailers it works to tjx in spades and i think that's why it's traded the way it's traded. If you look at some of these retailers with inventory problems, who wins to that TJX? With that said, it's an expensive stock in this environment. How do you trade it? Well, you hope they miss and you get a pullback to the 200-day moving average, which you've seen before. And then I think you try to get the opportunity to get on the long side. I think you're if you're buying it here, um, I think
1: you're flipping the coin at best, Dan. Yeah, I agree with that. All right, listen, guy, we went really long today. We did not have a market call. We yet had Haggerty. We had Matt Haggerty. Um, you know, I call there. him Haggerty. It's like it's like the guy Grizzly Adams. I know what you do, but guys, go sign up for his webinar on March 1st, 2 p.m. Eastern. Uh, Jacob's going to put the link up there. Um, You know where to find it. I think that's going to be a great call. They're great partners of ours. So Matt is a really smart guy here. So check um, that. out. All right, guy, we covered a lot of ground here, man. Hell yeah.
0: Listen, tough Ranger loss last night. They were due, but I got to tell you something. Shosturkin is my concern. The Rangers got 50 shots on goal. Most of the time, they gonna get four or five goals on nights like that. I'm not worried about the team. I'm worried about my guy in the pipes right now. I think he's struggling. But you know what? In February is when you start to figure things out. There's still some time in the playoffs, as you know, Dan. But that's it for Market Call. I want to thank CME Group, where risk meets opportunity. I want to thank Matthew Haggerty. I want to thank Doug Cass for participating offline on this one. I want to thank our audience. Obviously, Dan Nathan, you are the driving force behind this. And I want to thank FactSet Financial Data and Analytics, powered by Tomorrow. Thank you for allowing Matt to come on with us. Thank you for being our data provider. We'll be back tomorrow, which is Wednesday, uh, with a great Carter Braxton Worth. See you, peeps. All right, see you later.